Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a friend of the podcast and of mine, Dwayne Adams. Uh, Dwayne, how you doing? I'm doing very good, Jay. It's always good to hear your voice. Well, we uh, seem to always have a good podcast. I know the listeners uh, love having you on, so I figured I'd give you a ring. We're going to cover a lot of coos deer questions today with, you know, obviously the archery season's coming up uh, here, uh, here pretty soon. And everyone's drawn their coos deer tags in Arizona, so I know there's a lot of interest out there, and there's a lot of anticipation and excitement for the 2018 fall season. Uh, before we get into uh, the coos deer stuff, uh, you know we're we're about the sixth of August right now, and so we're you know about a month away or so from you know the elk bugling and what have you. I know you typically guide up in Unit One. Uh, for the archery hunts and muzzleloader early rifle or what have you, um, what are you what are you seeing? Have you been up? Uh, what are you hearing? Uh, you know, is Unit One faring better than some of the other units in this drought? Well, you know that's really a good question. It, July first, we always have our family reunion up at, at around Big Lake, and have had it there for probably oh twenty five thirty years. And this is the first year that I went up there. And I drove around, and I was horrified that all the springs and all the mud holes and all the little lakes were gone. And I don't mean dried up. I mean, you wouldn't even know they were there. And I told my wife, I said, out of my 38 years of guiding, this is the first time I've seen this ever. And I was really concerned. Well, in the month of July, uh, we, uh, we got seven inches of rain up there. I have an uncle that lives up there. And, I, you know, Jay, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't know if it helped or not because you know that, 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 that those big bulls start rubbing their horns off in, in the latter part of July, first part of August. And yeah, I don't know. I've seen some yeah. bulls, uh, but I, I didn't see any what I would call gigantic bulls. So... The only way I guess I'm going to be able to really tell you that is when we get in the battle of the zone. But it, it, is, it was as dry up there as I've ever seen it in, in my uh, 60, 63 years of age. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it, it's one of those years that's probably going to be like 02. I've had several people that say they don't think it's going to be as bad as 02. 02 was about the last that I remember as, you know, as bad as, as I can remember, I was actually in Unit 1 in 2002 guiding. Um, I chose to guide in Unit 1 that year because of the drought. And i got to be honest, everywhere across the state in 02, it seemed like the bugling from all my buddies and stuff, it was pretty poor. Um, and we actually mucked out and had a pretty good hunt um, in Unit 1, had pretty good bugling. So I'm hoping that the showers that we've gotten in July have greened some things up, maybe, you know, got, got the cows feeling uh, good and fleshy. And, um, you know, I, I'm trying to be optimistic. But from what I hear, it's had decent monsoon showers. So hopefully some things have greened up. And, you know, the reality is if you have a tag, uh, you know, and, and, and you're going to go hunt, like you just you still got to go hunt and you still got to go enjoy it, I think, um, you know, you, you've got to be realistic and, you know, maybe that 370 bull is, you know, 350 or maybe that 350 bull is 330, but, um, you know, more than likely they're still going to bugle and, and you're still going to have a great elk hunt. 
So is, is there anything specifically that you kind of, you know, prepare your mind for in a season like this, or do you just go and take each day as it comes? Well, I take each day as it comes because it's just like anything else. It's hunting. But, you know, yeah. generally in Unit 1, water is not the keys because there's water everywhere. So setting water there, you know, is, is, is kind of worthless. But in other units, it's, it's, it can be absolutely gold, which you know that. But yeah. in this year, Unit 1, water might be, it might be very serious because a lot of the springs that I, I, I walked around for a couple of days up there, and it's places that I thought, and they, there was no water. They just, there was no springs, no running. And I kept thinking, wow, wow, wow. I mean, this, this is, this is serious, you know. And then I drove by Big Lake, and it just, just looking out there at one evening, and there was 150, 200 elk right, right on the north end of Big Lake, right there by getting a drink. Yeah. And I said, look yeah. at this. So. Yeah, it's so uh, kind of kind of nerve nerve wracking for sure um but the reality is you just got to do the best you can right that's it well you know and i try to tell people every time that they get a tag i mean it's just like a football game it's like a baseball game list the games on and whatever the weather is or whatever it is that's what you're dealt you you have to you yeah. got to play the game so if it's yeah. bad weather it's Either way, it's, that's the game. So that that and that's the tag. And as hard as these tags to come by, you can't worry about a drought. You you got to go attack. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's dive in. I've got a laundry list of uh, uh, coos deer questions here from listeners. And um, before before we even get into the questions, I always I always just smile when you tell me. But I want to say that you had guided for. I think it's a hundred coos deer bucks, and it, and it may be more than that. Whatever the number is, I know every time you tell me, I smile. What are you at as far as guiding bucks? Five hundred and twenty-five. A <laughs> hundred. I said a hundred. You're five times that. Five hundred and twenty-five coos deer. <laughs> yes, that's that's how many bucks I thank the Lord Jesus has let me kill. I've killed five hundred and twenty-five bucks, and I've killed. 42 Boone and Crockett bucks with clients. I, I've only killed one Boone and Crockett buck myself, but I killed the other uh, 41 with, with uh, clients. That's fantastic. Well, good. Well, you're the right man for the job for these questions that have come in from listeners, and so let's dive into it. Um, we're going to be kind of all over the map, uh, you know, going in and out of, you know, whether it be velvet archery season to late season rutting and, um you know, so we're just going to kind of go across the board here because there's people listening that obviously, you know, they're they're gonna they didn't draw a tag, so they're going to be archery hunting, or maybe they drew a tag, but they're going to be archery hunting. You know, velvet season, and obviously you can only kill one deer per per season. But uh, um, and then we've got guys that maybe are just planning on doing the archery rut hunt, and maybe they've got a December coos tag. So um, we're going to be all over the map here. So. Uh, let's you just bet. dive into a couple of these questions here. So first question comes from, on Instagram, Coach RJT42, and he says, what are coos deer movements like during the heat of August archery season? So right in the middle of August archery season, during the heat, Dwayne, what have you seen the movement patterns uh, typically, what have they been year after year? 
Well, they're not very much. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> it, it, they, they're, they're very slim, and, and at best, you, you see them early in the morning. You know, I give I give glass lessons, which I told you about, and I try to tell people that at eight o'clock in the morning, you'll be lucky to see any deer out out on an open hillside. And in that early season, and same in August and September, but it's actually not eight. It's actually probably about seven o'clock. There won't be any deer left. But the caliber buck that that most people want to kill, you got about fifteen to twenty minutes when the sun comes up, and he's he's moving into the trees. So I, I tell people that the best thing they better be doing is they better be hunting water, or they better have some minerals that they know something about, or you better hope that the deer are coming to you because you, you have a very short window with during the archery season to kill that caliber deer. Yeah, and I would add um, to dovetail onto that, um, Dwayne, is in those periods of the archery season when we do have monsoonal storms that may come in through the day, maybe let's say we have, you know, an afternoon, you know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, a big storm kind of comes in, those deer are obviously hunkered up, but if it rains and, and you know, rain showers come and, a, you know, a nice little downpour, you could get a good, you know, good glassing session in that evening. Or if we had monsoonal moisture come up where sometimes we'll get those two or three days in a row where, uh, you know, heavy, heavy moisture in the air and maybe just kind of showers on and off, I've found, and Dwayne, you can weigh in um, here in a second, I found sometimes in those periods you'll find those deer actually up and feeding when it's kind of drizzling and cooler, and they'll kind of be up and down all day. So are there conditions, or, or do you have anything to add, are there conditions where you would say, you know, normal bluebird day, yeah, you've got about 15 minutes in the morning, but would you agree with monsoonal moisture you can get those deer that are actually up feeding right in the middle of the day? Not only that's the truth, uh, what you just said, and I should have brought that up because we have, have done exactly what you're saying, you know. But it, it's so streaky that, that you might go five or six or seven days like the period and not get any rain. But if you do, you, you, that can happen. But, Jay, I'll tell you one thing that I have learned, is, and there's something about the water from a rain that's, that's, that's in a mud puddle. And, and I, I, I actually think there's probably the, taste of the water or the minerals in it i don't really know but i've got a little place that if it rains three or four or five days you know you get that steady rain and, it, and, it, and the mud puddle gets big enough i kill two bucks off that mud puddle in the middle of a road yeah and so invariably in deer just they come to that fresh water that's fallen they, they and come they to this water and, and i started as a kid i I'd drive down this road and I went with my neighbor. I was 10 years old. We went right around this corner. There's mud holes there. And there was a buck in the, in the, in the, in the road. And he ran up the hill. And, and the, the elderly guy said, man, did you see that buck? I said, yeah. And it ran off. I've seen 50 bucks there since. Maybe more yeah. in my lifetime. Yeah. And I've killed two with a bow off that mud puddle. Now, if it rains, I'm telling you, there's going to be deer come to it. And there's going to be, a, I, I got a place I got set right there. I put a blind. And, and the biggest problem I got is cars going by. But when they go by, within 15 minutes, a deer will come in and get a drink out of it. So, yeah. I, and it's usually they're not there long, right? I mean, 
they're, they're usually that you know they walk in pretty quick, get a drink, and they're gone. Right? They don't know around. Exactly right. Boy, you said a mouthful. There's no games. They're really aware. They come right in. They put their head down and they suck that water and they literally spin and come out of there. But there's something about that muddy water. And I and I, I talk to biologists and people and, and and they think it's minerals. It's natural. It's in the ground. That tastes different, and I, I I don't know that, but I know one thing: it works. Good stuff. Let's move on to the next question. It's, uh, do you notice a change in a buck's habits when he strips his velvet? And I know you're smiling right now when the question gets asked because I'm sure there's been a bunch of bucks that you you know see in the velvet, and then you know they change their pattern. What is your answer to that question? Well, they, they don't. They don't. They don't only change their pattern. They they absolutely the pattern's over with. Uh, I've glassed many gigantic bucks, and when they strip that bell, but never find them again. And and I know they're in that area, but and I can glass a lot of times till I'm blue in the face and from different angles, but I just just don't think they move as much. As, as they do when they have the velvet. I don't think they like that velvet touching trees and different brush. I, I think it's pretty pretty sensitive. But once that changes, uh, and I've killed lots of big bucks like that in my lifetime, but I'd have to stay in those certain canyons and just keep glassing. And sometimes it takes days, Jay, and then all of a sudden you'll see him standing right there in that real thick stuff, but he won't come back out in the open much. Yeah, I mean... I I, I feel like um, when they're in the velvet, we, we talk about the archery season and when it's hot, you know, them, you know, not being able to glass them. But I will say that it seems like you can do some glassing in July, you know, the first hour of the morning, you say first 20 minutes, let's just give it, a, you know, an hour. You know, you can glass in July and see tons and tons of bucks out feeding they're not out feeding a lot, but you can pretty much predict that first, you know, 30 minutes, 20 minutes, like you say, you know, depending on weather. But let's just say the first hour, you can probably see more bucks than, say, glassing October 1st, the same hour. Seems like when they go hardhorn, they just, they just don't move, and they're not up, and that's what makes, you know, it's somewhat of a challenge. But wouldn't you agree that you can scout bucks uh, in the velvet and you have a good chance if you hunt them on that first hunt in October. Uh, you know, the fact that they're, they're right there in that area, they're just harder to find. They seem like they're in the brush, and they're not out and as vulnerable as they were when they had the velvet. Would you agree with that? Well, that's a fact. I've I, I actually killed more bucks in the October hunt that are Boone and Crockett than I have in the, in the January and December hunts. Yeah. And it's because of what you said. I found them. And then I patted them, and then I just kept playing around, and I finally patted them once they got their horns rubbed off, and then I then I was lucky enough to 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 you know kill kill those caliber bucks. So I was fortunate enough to do that. I, I tell you, I have another theory, and I I think that the reason we we see so many bucks out there in, in, in July and August is that those horns grow almost an inch a day, and I think that they have to eat so much food. To, to keep that metabolism of growing, and they suck so much of the minerals literally out of their body, right, of, of the growing, the calcium and all the phosphates that they use. And I think that's why they come to, to those minerals 
uh, you know, a lot, and I think they do the things that I'm talking about is because they're growing. And I think once they quit growing their horns, I think their whole body changes. Yeah, I mean, they and, don't, they're not pouring it onto their antlers, so they don't need to be out feeding as much. I think it makes perfect sense. I, I honestly believe that because what you said earlier is exactly right. I can go out and glass 50, 75 bucks, and then in October go back out there and see a quarter of those bucks, but you know they're there, but I don't think they have to, to keep eating to, for those horns to keep growing like that. An inch of the day is a lot, a lot of horn when you think about some of yeah. those deer. Yeah, for sure. Next question is from LT Hunt AZ. It says, how do I hunt leftover tag units down south with low deer density? So low deer density, who's deer down south, how, how would you recommend hunting those leftover units? Well, we, we get them every year, and I try to tell people all the time is either go as far as you can in to the mountain range or go as far as you can out in the flats and stay out of that middle zone because that's where they're going to be killed. And so you got to go one way or the other. you got to pack, put a pack on and go as deep into those, that country or try to hunt those flats and lowlands where there's very few dense deer, but there can be some ungodly monsters there. So it's one or the yeah, other, I, and that, that's what we're doing. I think that's good advice. I think that's good advice. I think we've talked about before on the podcast, you and I, we've talked about, you know, I've asked you questions about that middle ground, that beautiful yellow grass, the mesquite, yep. the, the, um, the oaks, you know, where the mesquite goes to the oaks. I mean, just where your eye is drawn. And, um, you know, that's where the majority of your hunters are going to be, and that's where a lot of deer are. Um, when you're talking about hunting those leftover units, and when you're trying to find big deer, what you're saying, Dwayne, is, you know, go high or go low and, you know, rarely in the middle because that's where all the people are. You know, Jay, uh, the San Pedro River, right? I live here in Samuel, the San Pedro River, there was never a coos deer in 40 miles of that place. They're all in the mountains. And they're all the way from Sierra Vista to Mammoth now on the San yeah. Pedro. And yeah. There are a lot of deer that people don't have a clue about that, that will come up out of that river, up on those little fingers within a mile of the river. And, and, and this river runs, you know, 200 miles from Mexico all the way down to Hayden. Yeah. So they're, they're, that's just one little place that people don't look that, that these deer are migrated into. And there's all the way down south, there's thousands of those places that these deer are at now where nobody, nobody looks. Yeah, it seems like the coos are definitely kind of spreading out in their range. Next question is, can well, let, let me Hold, hold, hold yep. for a minute, Jake. Yep. I gave glass yep. lessons. This will really answer that question. I gave glass lessons to a gentleman last week, and he said, Mr. Adams, the reason I hired you to, to give me glass lessons, I'm hunting a private ranch, and I can't find any deer. And I said, are you seeing any deer sign? He said, it's everywhere. He said, "Everywhere I'm going out there," and I said, uh, and "I said, so what do you what do you mean it's everywhere?" He said, "It's everywhere I look." He said, "I'm looking in the flats and I'm looking up on the mountainside and there's no deer." I said, "Then the deer are in the flats." <laughs> he yeah. said, well, "How do I hunt yeah. that?" I said, "Get on the mountain and look back." Yes, so sir. So the, the long story short, 
Jay. That's what he did. He got up on the mountain and looked back. He called me the next day. He said, I found five bucks, Mr. Adams. And he said, yeah. you were right. They're out in the flat. I said, look, those deer, they don't mind being out in the flat. The only reason they get up those mountains is push them up. People push them up there. Yeah, and that, so, that leads right into the next question. Uh, Game Chasers 3 says, can twos in the rolling hills flat before hunts, then move to higher country when pressured. So he's saying, can coos in the rolling hills or flats before the hunt starts, then once pressure moves in, do they go higher? What's your answer to that? Well, I think they do exactly two things. and They either go higher or they go lower. They, if their pressure is, I found out that they'll go right on, right, right on out into to, to farther in the flat. We chased a big buck, for example, a few years ago, and it's just rolling hills for miles and miles. And another hunter shot at the deer before we got to shoot at it, and he shot at it three or four times. And we watched this deer go, literally almost out of sight in those flats. And so that evening we got where we thought it was going to be. And I'm telling you, it was, just, it was another miles of just flats. And by accident, we found that deer. He was either another three-quarters of a mile farther than what we thought, but he was back to feeding again. And there he was, safe, and nobody around him. We killed that deer the next day. You know, the, one of the points I would make um, in all of that, talking about pressure, is I, I would answer a couple ways as well. I would say that, just because you don't see the deer doesn't mean that the deer isn't, you know, you've seen him all summer and he's right in the flats and then all of a sudden there's some hunters around, there's ATVs around, there's pressure around, campsites, and you think, well, he's not here, he's got to be high or he's got to be low. Well, that's very true. And in your case where a deer gets shot at, yes. But would you agree, Dwayne, that there's a really good chance that that buck could double back and be right back in that same country. I mean, granted, if there's a guy on every ridge, he's going to get shot. But if, you know, if one guy randomly comes through there and shoots at him, three or four days later, he might be right back in the same spot. Curious your thoughts on that. Not only is that a fact, that's, that's an absolute fact. If, if the pressure hasn't really pushed those deer out of that country, they're, they're, right, they're right there, Jay. Uh, and they're going to be right there in that kind of country. Uh, Jay, uh, about 10 years ago or so, maybe longer, I was quail hunting not too far from my house here, and I, I, my wife loves to quail hunt, so she gets to shoot, and I, I get to carry the shells for the first couple of days. And anyway, we're going on this little ridge, and I, the quail were calling below us, and I moved my wife on it, and I'm talking about I'd never seen coos here in this place in my life, and I've been here all my life. And I eased up over this hill, and it's just all choya cactuses and flat, I looked off to the left, and, and there was a, about 20 yards. There was as big a buck as a guy I'd ever want to see, 130, who knows how big he was. And he bounded off, and my wife got mad at me because she was, was interested in the quail, and I could care less about them. But anyway, we shot some quail, and I, I, I asked my wife, said, Mary, I said, let's, let's come back here tonight and glass and see if we can find that deer. She said, sure, that would be fun. So we climbed on top of this little knob, Jay. I'm telling you. That's what when I really got educated about these deer out there where nobody looks at them. And I climbed up with this little knob, and I got my wife's binoculars, and I said, Mary, you look over that way. And she said, okay. And I didn't think she'd see anything, but I figured I'd, I'd look over that way. 
So I got my binoculars and I went over to about 20 yards from so I'm getting ready to set up and she says, I got, I got three bucks. I said, are they mule deer, Mary? She says, well, I don't know. They're bucks. I said, okay. So I go back over there. Jay, there were three coos deer bucks, not the one that I'd seen. So now I knew there were four bucks there and I said, oh, and this is just rolling nothing. When yeah. it was all over with, when I got that glass in that evening, there were seven different bucks, not counting the big buck that I'd seen. Yeah, I mean, that's the exciting part. Uh, you know, there's a spot where you, you know, you stumble in quail hunting. And I've heard it before, guys, you know, quail hunting in, you know, January or, you know, mostly beginning of February and out there and all of a sudden they, they stumble into some bucks and they find a honey hole just by, you know, out traipsing around. Uh, but I think those flats, I mean, we've talked about it before on the podcast. I mean, the flats uh, definitely get overlooked um, for big deer. It's not easy to hunt. You know, you've got to find vantage points, and sometimes your vantage points are maybe, you know, just a little bit of elevation. But if you've got the patience um, to, you know, to prowl around, I mean, you, I mean, Blaine, you've, you've shot some great deer in the flats, and I know other people have as well. So, it's, you know, it's definitely something to keep in mind. You better believe it. It's it's a it's very much overlooked, and and there's there can be some gigantic deer down there. Next question comes from uh, Nick underscore Wysocki. He says, "What is the best OTC archery AZ coos unit for numbers of deer, not necessarily trophy potential?" So thirty six B best. Okay, 36B is your, that's your numbers unit where yeah, there's more there's, counter archery? Yeah, there's more, there's probably more deer in 36B than all any of the southern units combined, uh, literally. And it, it's just conducive. It, it, to me, it's Mexico on steroids. Everything's, it, you just, I mean, you're right there on the border. And it's just an unbelievable unit. There's water everywhere. There's it, almost every drainage has water coming to the surface. It's just, and there's tanks. They've done a great job, uh, uh, stock tanks all over there, so that those deer have a great chance to survive there. Uh, what's what's made it tough is that it is the border patrol problem. You know, which we all can know all about. You know. All of them, that's the same unit that, that that Brian Terry was killed in there in Peck Canyon. So, and ever since then, you know, it's been it's been pretty volatile. But if they can ever get that under control, my lord, that, that's a great unit. Good stuff. Um, next question is from Thad underscore Tanner. He says, "How many more inches do bucks generally grow?" in the last month and a half in the velvet? Well, my answer to that would be that last month and a half, in my opinion, is when bucks can really put on inches. Not necessarily that last week, but the last month. Um, you know, I've seen bucks that, you know, you watch them on trail cam, and, you know, they're just basically, you know, a main beam, and they're, you can just see where, like, their points are starting. And that whole, that whole last month, all of a sudden, they turn into a, you know, 115-inch buck. They basically go from, you know, just beams, you know, going out and eye guards. And then all of a sudden, the rest of their whole rack's configured. 
I think each individual buck is completely different, you know, genetically and age and what have you. But definitely when you get, you know, in those, you know, three, four, five, six-year-old bucks, you know, that last month, you know, is, is everything in my mind, Dwayne. Everything you said right there, I concur. I mean, I agree with you. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of trail cam pictures in the last three or four weeks. That's that's when you start to really see what, what, what's coming on. Because before that, it's just a glob of hardly nothing. But you bet. The last three or four weeks is when you can – it's actually exciting to go check the pictures every week because then, then you know what, what's in that. It, it, that buck is going to be an absolute monster. Yeah, you know, one thing came to my mind about the question before this this velvet question um, in talking about OTC, you picked 36B as, you know, the high density, not necessarily the trophy area, not to say that there's not trophy bucks there. Um, what would be a unit, in your opinion, that is the opposite, that is not a lot of deer, but maybe, you know, higher trophy potential but not you know a lower density unit what what would what would jump to your mind with that question well, there's two there's two of them that, that that does that unit 23 and unit 27 but yeah both i think of those that's a great answer have unbelievable bucks i mean they've got they've got some of that's where brandon mcdermott you know killed those uh, 165 in, in that unit you know, those units you know i mean and and he's a, a coos deer hunting uh crazy guy like we are and and so though they're not a lot of deer in either one of those places but there are world beaters in there and that's that's exactly what it is there's very low density but some ungodly deer don't you think at times Dwayne, it takes some of those places like 27 and 23 and maybe even a 22 where there's kind of some great habitat, but it's not real consistent, meaning it's not just ridge after ridge after ridge. And so you get pockety deer. You get, you know, situations where you've got, you know, a few coos deer over here, and you go for a mile or two, and, you know, then it's thick, and, you know, maybe there's deer you can't even see. Whereas in some of the southern Arizona units, you know, you've got just basically all coos deer habitat. And so there's, you know, from head to toe usually in those units, you know, you've got just coos deer all over but you've got 27 that you know you could go for miles and there's not any coos deer real good habitat and then all of a sudden there's you know three or four or five you know canyons that are coos deer and so the pockety you know the the, the fact that they're just not everywhere allows those bucks to grow up well that's that's why i said those two units because everything that you illustrated is what those units are are about i mean they're they're not coos deer everywhere in any of those, either one of those units, they're just in certain canyons, and you can go miles and not see them, but they're in those canyons, and if you figure those canyons out, you know, there's some ungodly bucks there. Yeah. Uh, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll get right back into the questions. Guys, I've got an awesome opportunity to tell you about. You can check out the Go Hunt Insider for free for a 30-day free trial right now. All you got to do is go to GoHunt, that's G-O-H-U-N-T dot com forward slash J Scott. Look for the blue Start Your Free 30-Day Trial button and click there. This is by far the most valuable tool a Western hunter could give themselves. 
Insider changes how hunts and hunting information are found. When you go in the Insider, you'll be able to check out the filtering 2.0 system. You'll also be able to check out the draw odds for each unit, for each animal, for each state. Go Hunt Insider has the best draw odds on the market as far as the most accurate. There's no one that gets as meticulous level of accuracy as Go Hunt Insider. You'll see there's complete coverage of 4,200 different profiles, every unit, every state, every species, every season, in-depth analysis, interactive maps, season trends, unit access, camping and lodging nearby, and historical weather. You'll also be able to see some of the additional benefits, the strategy articles on how to apply, let's say in Arizona for elk, for antelope, for deer. You can go in there and see how in-depth they get it's an unbelievable opportunity, a free 30-day trial. They also do monthly giveaways. So just by being an Insider member, you get monthly giveaways. They give over $100,000 plus per year of giveaways, gear, tags, hunts. Another unbelievable thing about the Insider is the Go Hunt gear shop. So every time you buy something, you accumulate points. In, in essence, it's giving money back to the insider. You might ask, well, how does this work with the Go Hunt Insider? How does the 30-day free trial work? You can sign up to try Insider's industry-leading hunting products free for 30 days. They do take your credit card information so that you can automatically become a member once you, your 30-day trial ends. You can cancel at any time during the 30-day free trial, and it doesn't cost you a dime. You might ask, how is this different from other resources out there? Insider provides analysis and tools for every unit, every species, and every hunt. In each state that they cover, they don't just cover the top 10 units. Their coverage is super in-depth, and you can find those hidden gem units, maybe something that the draw odds uh, are a little bit better and maybe some quality. It's slipped through the cracks, and you might find a great hunt there. Right now, Go Hunt Insider covers Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, Utah, and Wyoming. All you have to do is go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott and check it out now. Guys, I want to thank kuyu.com, that's k-u-i-u.com for their sponsorship of this podcast. And Kuyu Ultralight Hunting makes the best ultralight hunting products on the market today from items like the peloton 240 full zip hoodie the chugach nx rain jacket and the super down ultra jacket which will be going on my hunts to the northwest territories here soon if you're talking about kuyu pants some of the pants that i like are the guide pant that's for colder weather hunts like down in january on my coos deer hunts you've got the Tiburon pant for the warm season hunts. That's got the air dock technology where it breathes really well. You've got the attack pant, which is probably their number one selling pant. You've got their new pro pant, which is their all season, all terrain hunting pant with a new quiet ultra suede foam line knee pad. It has four way stretch, it only weighs 19.6 ounces. It's got the Torre DWR water repellency. It's got the Torre Make Spec for odor control. Kuyu's rain gear is the best on the market in my opinion. I routinely wear the Chugach NX rain pant and rain jacket. Uh, I also have worn on some of the lower 48 hunts the Ultra NX rain pant and jacket. Some of the other pieces you've got to check out or are the Peloton, which is their synthetic version, either the 130 zip-off bottoms 
or the 200 zip-off bottoms. They also make them in a 145 merino wool or a 210 zip-off bottom merino wool. These are so convenient. You can leave your boots on. You just drop your pants, unzip your long underwear, and you're off and running again. Another amazing product are the Tiburon shorts. If you see any of the pictures of me in the summer on my Instagram account, 99.9% .9 of the summer I'm wearing Tiburon shorts on all my hiking, all my fishing excursions. It's got the Air, Air Dot technology. Uh, they breathe really well. They're very well fitted, and uh, you guys should check them out. The Tiburon short, fantastic product from Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Kuyu has an amazing selection of products from jackets and vests, pants and shorts, shirts and tops, footwear, accessories, lifestyle apparel. They have a wide range of packs from the Icon Pro to the Ultra, the sleep system, the Kuyu sleeping bag I use on all my hunts, and then the, the tents, the Mountain Star two-person tent, the Storm Star tent, just phenomenal gear. Make sure to go to Kuyu, that's K-U-I-U dot com, and check out all of the phenomenal gear that they provide. Okay, Dwayne, the next question comes from Sean underscore Kolowski 95. He said, what elevation generally has the highest concentration of bucks? That's between three and about 5,000 foot. Which, wouldn't you also agree that that's the highest concentration of deer is also, yep. I mean, not only bucks, but deer, that three to yeah. five with that magical yep. number, probably at like the four, you know, 4,000 to 4,500 yep. is probably like the magic, like number one. And, and don't you think that's because of the habitat? I mean, you've got yep. all of the oak, the yellow grass, the, the mesquite, um, okatio, it's kind of all within that. Within that, you know, OKT obviously being a little bit lower there, but um, that's like where the most food is for. That's exactly why it's, it, that question it pertains to that. That's why if the, that's where the most of the bucks are, and that's where most of the deer is. But that doesn't mean that's where most of the big deer is. And that just means yeah. that's where most of the deer are. And in, in, in general, is at that at that elevation. You bet. Wouldn't you agree, Dwayne? Um, you're, you've talked about big deer being high, big deer being low. There are big deer in the middle, but not as many because that's where the hunters are. It, it, let's say that we went 10 years in a unit, 33. You pick a unit, whatever. And you, sure. you just you didn't actually harvest. There was no hunting pressure, and, you know, we just lived in a, you know, it was our little bubble or, or you know, let's say it was a, you know, for instance, well, let me back up. Let's just say a unit 33 and they went 10 years and they didn't hunt any deer. Wouldn't you agree that there would be plenty of giant bucks in that middle range where all the deer are? Don't you think it's a function of the deer getting shot, therefore they're not growing up to be old, and or in order to be old, they've got to get out of there and they know to go to where the people aren't. No, you 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 actually answered the question that that you asked. That's exa and that gentleman <laughs> the same would think. Listen, the reason that people try to hunt canyons and nobody else hunts is because that that's what they put the age on deer so that they can grow up. The reason that people kill those deer in that zone is because it's usually easier to get into and 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 on and on. So if they start killing those small deer that have great genetics that it, it's a two-point 
or a little small three-point in three or four years, that buck could be a, a 120. But if he doesn't survive, he's not nothing. Right. Right. A uh, question that I have that kind of stems from that, and we I think we've talked about it before, but we might as well talk about it again. Would you agree, well, yeah, would you agree with my statement of just because, well, not all deer are going to be 100 inches. In other words, uh, we've hunted Mexico a lot where we see a buck and we're like, man, let's let him grow. And then next year we come and we see him, it's the same basically the same size we're like man let's let him go we see him again and it's he's like 100 inches like that's he's not going to ever be any more than that do you believe that there's deer it's not just like oh if a deer gets to six or seven years old he's going to be 125 or 30 inch deer do you agree that there's some deer that will probably never be 100 or max out right at 100 not only is that a fact that's probably the biggest understatement that most people Never understand. There are certain places that I hunt that I will never see a deer over 100 inches. And I have several reasons I think that is. I think it's genetics. I think it's the food, the limestone, whatever's in that cycle. And I think it's like people. I try to tell people that all the time. Animals are no different than people. Every, every person doesn't grow to be six foot eight and can slam a dunk. A ball. Every deer doesn't grow up to be a 300-inch mule deer or a 100-inch coos deer. It's it's in the genetics. It's in the food. It's in wherever they grow. And once you learn where great big deer are, you're going to be great big deer there the rest of your life. And I, I, I really when I give glass lessons or talk to people, if you found a great big deer or you found a shed, and it's a monster. His grandfather was here before him, and his grandfather before him. So you're in a zone that those big deer grow for whatever reason. But you could be a mile either direction, and they, they're not that big. Every, what you just asked is exactly what I, I have found. There's, if I see a little spindly horn buck, and I go back in there and look at a year or two later, and it's, it's the same type of – if you don't ever see those big, massive – Long time, whatever structure it is, you've got to get out of there. You've got to go somewhere else. Dwayne, a follow-up question to that is you've been doing this, did you say 38 years? Yes, sir. Okay, 38 years. Are there specific places, not, I mean, I guess you could call them honey holes, but are there specific places that you found big bucks and that you routinely can go back, maybe not every year, but you can constantly go back and find a big deer in that specific country. Yes. Not only yes, and, yes. Let, let, let me really, there's one place that, that I've hunted, I've killed 17 Boone and Crockett bucks out of there, out of the 42, and it's four major canyons. And I've killed them in all four of the major canyons. I've killed in each one of them. But what's interesting, Jay, is if you come north a mile or south a mile, I've never seen a Boone Crockett buck. And it's the same country. And I, and I know why it is now, but it took me a long time. In this zone that I'm hunting, it's infested with limestone. There's li the whole mountain is just limestone. 
And the only reason I know that is I had a biologist that was hunting with me one time, and he he said, "You know what that rock is right there?" I said, "Yeah, yellow." <laughs> he said, "That's light." He said, "It's limestone." I said, "That's limestone." He said, "Yeah." He said, "This whole area is limestone." Well, and I knew then once that is is that when I was going to college at NAU, I had a biology teacher. And he told me something I never forgot. He said, does anybody know why the Grand Canyon is, was the way it is? Of course, I didn't know. And he said, the Grand Canyon is the biggest deposit of limestone in the world. And he said, it's like taking a water hose to soap. I never forgot that. He said, and that's what washed it out like that. Well, he didn't know anything about hunting, but limestone's a natural steroid. That's why on the strip, and in 10, and 9, and the Kaibab, and the Potsagon, all that zone on both sides, that's why there's gigantic mule deer and elk, and some of the biggest antelope in the world. That's all our big, one of the biggest limestone deposits in the world, Jay. Huh, I didn't know that. That's good stuff. And it's the that's same with coos stuff, deer. I, I start, when, when I give guys glassing lessons, I say, look, you see this, this ground right here? You want to look for this type of ground wherever you're hunting. If you see this, this rock right here, that's a natural limestone. And that's how I killed. When I killed, uh, the buck I killed scored almost 40. It scored almost 140 in, 1930, in 1976. I killed it in this, these canyons that had the limestone. But I did it by accident. I didn't know anything about limestone. And when I killed it, and then I, since then I've got all, a lot more knowledge. But limestone is very important. And Jay, when you go down south, you see mine shafts everywhere. I mean, almost every road that's out there, there's mine shafts. Well, those guys were mining gold and silver in them days, but there's lots of, of other minerals that's all right there. So that's, that's what makes some of these zones. And Marinci is a prime example. Marinci, that mine has been running almost 150 years, and it's got another 100 years of life. That's why 27 has got all that, that lime and all that different uh, uh, stone, uh, different gold, silver, all up that mountain there. And when you talk about 23, what do you have in 23? Think, think about it, Jay. It's sil silver. At Superior, you have a mine. At Globe, you have a mine. At, at Hayden, yeah. you got a mine. That's all a big structure of, 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 a, of a mineral. So that's why 23, 24A, uh, 22, that's why there's gigantic bucks there. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, next question is Benitez underscore 95. He says, what is your dream coos buck to see and, of course, hunt? So I guess he's asking both of us, what is your dream coos buck? Well, I'm a sucker for non-typical stuff. I like trash. Um, been fortunate to be around a handful of deer. Last year, as a matter of fact, in Mexico, we found 142 inch. He's only 11 inches wide, but he's got points everywhere. He's got a complex of four eye guards on one side. I'm, I'm a sucker for big non-typicals. Dwayne? Oh, I'm, uh, listen, if it's got a kicker, I'm slobbering. <laughs> I love it. A, tip, a typical deer, I, I tell people all the time, a typical deer can be killed in any state. I mean, and you could, but it's not typical. It's not the same. There's none the same. There's not one gigantic non-typical deer that's the same. And it, and it's that simple. Yeah. So I'm, I'm mm -hmm. like you. And, and when I guide people, I ask them, and, and they'll tell you, 
90% of them want a not typical. I, I've never seen one, or if I see one, I shoot it. Well, me too, because it's the only deer that's like that. So I'm a not typical yeah. crazy guy. Yeah, I mean, there's something about big, giant typicals that are just clean. But, I mean, I'm I'm like you. You get extra eye guards. You get kickers and you get J-hook cheaters. You get all kinds of, you know, it, it just adds a whole other element of excitement for me. You know, drop time. Let, let, me, tell you, it, let uh, me tell you a story, Jay. Uh, yep. Four years ago, I had a client, and we glassed three bucks, and they went over the ridge. I knew all three of them were big. I didn't know how big they were, but I knew they were big. We were lecking down about a mile, and they went over the ridge, and, they, and I told that guy, I said, I know where they're going. So we went around the other side, and we ease in there. I said, we've got to be real quiet. I said, we're only going to be about three to 400 yards across this canyon. And I said, just just sit down, and me and, and the other guy will start looking for the deer. And, and Jay, I didn't last 10 seconds, and I seen this buck laying over there. And he's just in the shade. <clears throat> and he turned his head, and he has split eye guards on both and they're, and they're four-inch eye guards on both sides, and I almost had a stroke. I looked to the right of him, Jay, about, I'm telling you, probably about 20 yards, and there laid a 120, straight, gigantic, three-by-three. Three. I talked the hunter into shooting the, the, the other deer. It's going, one, it's going 116, and the other deer I know was 120. I know it was, and I said, listen... I said, you will never see yeah. a deer like that again. I said, I'm, I'm, yeah. and he said, he said, you don't think so? I said, I'm, I've never seen one like that in my life. But I've seen a lot of bucks like that 120. You know, I'll kill another one of those, but you'll never see this one. And he shot yeah, it. Anytime you he get kickers. He's tickled to death. I mean, it's got, and what I didn't know, he was facing, he was bladed. The horns were bladed, and it was a four on both sides, and, and it's bladed about three inches. Oh, my Lord, is it neat. Yeah, I love bladed bucks for sure. Absolutely. <clears throat> Next question is from uh, underscore Justin Winter underscore, and he says, top December hunt units, question mark. So I assume he's asking for the December coos hunts. I, <clears throat> I would assume when he's saying December, even though some of the units now at the hunt structure, Dwayne, they kind of have that early December. But let's just talk late, you know, I'm assuming he's talking, you know, quote-unquote rut hunt, late December, you know, what, you know, typically the 12th or 15th to the end of the month. Um, if you had to rank them, I've got my, my ranking, or at least four or five units. You rank yours. Well, it, it kind of goes back to the same thing we were talking about. If I was going to guide somebody for a gigantic deer, I would start in the 23, 27, and I would go to places that, that, that those deer have a chance to grow up and they're going to come out or nobody's going to mess them. 33 is another one that there's just unbelievable gigantic bucks, but they're very difficult to hunt unless it's early, early, or in de and right at the end of the, in the, end of the January, December hunt. But those kind of units that where they can get out back in that country or, and survive is 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 where I'd hunt. So the, 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 that's what I would be doing. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> let's talk about that real fast. And obviously, twenty three, twenty two, twenty one, twenty seven. Yeah, some of those kind of lower density units we talked about before. Um, you know, 
I, I also like the, the central uh, the central AZ units in those December hunts because typically, for whatever reason, you can see a little bit more rutting activity after Christmas in a unit 23, maybe before down in 34A or 36C. And I'm curious your thoughts. It seems as though the further north you are, the quicker or sooner you'll see some rutting activity. Do you, ha do you see any merit in that at all, or do you disagree oh. with that? No, that's a fact. That's a, it's a, and I think it has to do with the altitude, and I think it has to do with the colder and in the, the north because twenty three and all those zones at twenty seven, that they could be rutting way early, and and then you'll hear down in the, in the lower units they're not even close to rutting. But I've I've seen that for years and years. You bet you better believe it. And I I think it has to do with the altitude because that country there is quite a bit higher. It's another thousand foot to fifteen feet. 1,500 feet higher, you know, young, all the way over to, to you know, Marinci, it, 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 it's up to 9,000 feet, drops down into, into honeymoon in that country. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, next question is from AZ Outdoorsman, 1997. He said, how are the genetics in 35A along with number of mature animals? Well, I've hunted 35A a little bit, but I would say the genetics are fantastic in 35A. I mean, some monsters have come out of 35A and 35B. Um, what I would what I would say to this AZ outdoorsman is, you know, one of the challenges with 35A is there's a lot of thick country. But the good news is there's a lot of thick country, meaning yeah. it's thick. And those deer can get big, but I mean, genetically, there's been some monsters that have come out of 35A. Well, I would second every word that you you said there. Uh, my son got a leftover tag about seven or eight years ago, and we chased it. I mean, literally right off one of the main roads, we stopped and glassed one evening, and glassed two gigantic bucks and. And they were both both Boone and Crockett, and they went around a corner, and so it was, you better believe it, they've got great genetics. And interest, another interesting thing, the next day, a gentleman was coming down the road, and I seen this big buck in the back of the truck, and I said, man, look, there's a big buck, and he pulled in, so we pulled over and looked at it, and, and it was probably a 125, and, and, and I, the guy didn't even know what he killed. I said, I said, man, that's a monster. He said, yeah, I said, I've got a couple like that. He said, I killed him off this canyon. So wherever he's hunting, there's big bucks there. Yeah. Next question comes from the outdoor consultant on Instagram, and he said, um, is coos deer antler growth reduced in poorer slash drier years like elk and mule deer can be? My answer would be, it doesn't seem like coos deer antlers get affected as much percentage-wise as mule deer or elk. This is my perception. Um, coos deer are fantastic browsers, uh, and it seems as though they can muck out. I guess what I'm saying is on dry years like this year, I don't seem to be like, Oh man, the coos deer are just—they're just no big bucks. Whereas you can go elk, and they're down thirty, forty inches. Mule deer—you know—you up on the Kaibab, you could be—you know—not a buck over two hundred on a dry year, and on a good year, you know, there's two twenty, two thirty bucks. So, 
in my opinion, coos deer antlers don't seem to be affected as much on a dry year. Curious your thoughts, Dwayne. I, I think you said everything that I would have said. That's exactly what I found all my life. I, I don't think it affects the coos deer like it does big mule deer or, or elk. Uh, uh, not even at all, in fact. I mean, as dry as it was here, I mean, I'm still seeing gigantic bucks. I, in these glass lessons I'm given, we're, we're seeing bucks that most people just have a stroke over. So you bet. I, I don't think that's a big deal. Um, another question from the outdoor consultant uh, on Instagram uh, it says, "Have coos deer bucks ever been known to shift ranges considerable distances, like uh, mule deer?" Dwayne, I'll let you answer that one. So, yes. have coos deer yep. bucks been able to shift their range like mule deer? Yes, not only yes, but they're doing it all the time. I, I talked several times in this podcast about me finding deer where I'd never seen them in my life, where I'd hunted, and they're now in mountain ranges that they've never been in. You know, they're they're in 37B in the Black Hills. There was never any coos deer there. They're in 37A where there was never been any in the Tortolitas, and 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 and, and there's you're, you're seeing them all over. But you better believe they shift mountain ranges. Uh, all you got to do is look at 37B. Ten years ago, they did not have a coos deer uh, hunt there. It was it was antlered mule deer only. But now, if you look on that your tag, it says antler deer. So it's either deer. Yeah. If you see a coos deer, you could kill a coos deer or a mule deer in 37B. And so, and and the, the nearest mountain range that holds deer to that is all the way into Catalina. So that's 40 miles away. Yeah, yeah, and I think we talked about in one of these other questions that they're, you know, they're constantly expanding their range, um, and you know, getting pushed around and what have you. And you're you're seeing you talked about the San Pedro, you talked about seeing deer that you never used to see deer. So I think that's that's a great answer. Let's take another quick break here to hear from our sponsors. We'll get right back to the questions. Guys, we're weeks away from the start of hunting seasons in most states. No doubt you'll have some trips planned. If you're going to be out for longer than a few days, take a look at Canyon Cooler's Outfitter line of premium ice chests. They're going to keep your ice intact for just as long as the other premium coolers, but aren't going to cost you a fortune, leaving more money in your pockets while keeping your food and drinks cold. And here's the deal. There are subtle differences between coolers that you don't really notice until you've used a few of them. What's great about the Outfitter series from Canyon Coolers is they're designed to be flush vertically without the cupcake tops you'll see on other premium coolers. This lets you fit them into tight spaces with ease and they're not going to get hung up on other gear. It's one of those things you'll really appreciate after you've used them that you don't even realize before. And Canyon Coolers offers the coolers industry's no-hassle no fault, lifetime warranty. No matter what happens to your ice chest, no matter who bought it or how long you've owned it, if the cooler falls out of the back of your truck and you drag it down the highway for 50 miles, all you have to do is send them a picture of the damage and Canyon will replace or repair the cooler for you. It's the last cooler you'll ever need to buy. It keeps ice just as long, if not longer, than the other premium brands. Costs you less and is backed by an incredible warranty and a Second Amendment supportive company based in Flagstaff, Arizona. 
And now, just for my podcast listeners, save 10% off Canyon's already low prices and get free shipping by using the promo code JSCOTT at checkout. Check them out at canyoncoolers.com. I want to thank the Outdoorsmans.com for their sponsorship of my podcast. I want to let you guys know they are the optics authority. And if you're looking for any binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, make sure to get a hold of the guys at the Outdoorsmans. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you get a 10% discount on all Outdoorsman's products. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or you can call them at 1-800-291-8065. Okay, the next question says, this is from KK, well I guess it's K. Kyle uh, on Instagram. Loved your seminar at the Kuyu uh, Mountain Academy uh, after glassing Coos up, how do you close the distance? So, Dwayne, after you glass up a coos deer, how do you close the distance on that deer? Well, you better have help. I, <laughs> I like, I I like the way this answer is going already. Well, if you don't, you leave and you get over there and you'd have a different perspective and you don't see the deer and he can be laying down and you think he's moved. I mean, all, I've done all that all my life. And if you have help, he can he can be over there. You know, I told you a story about Luke not paying attention, but it's not a joke. You better have somebody sitting there watching what you're doing because when you lose the, 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 the side of that deer and you get over there, I'll give you an example. Last year, my son-in-law, Nick DeBaca, and I, we glanced a great big buck. Nick took the client and went over there. And he said, I'm set up. I said, you see him, Nikki? He said, nope. I said, he's still there. He said, he's right there? He said, yeah. He said, I can't see it. I said, he's there. I said, I'll watch him until he gets up. Well, about four hours later, I told, I told Nick, I said, just tell the hunter to lay down underneath the tree and just, just relax. Relax, yeah. Get out of the scope and just relax. They lay down, and I told Nick, he's up. And the deer stood up, and then, of course, they got on the gun. Of course, we killed it. And it was one of the neatest bucks you'd ever want to kill. It, it had a 9-inch eye guard and a 4-inch eye guard. It was just, just, you know, just neat as heck. Kind of like what you and I are talking about, some, you know, abnormal. Yeah. But he couldn't see it. And what when I got over there, Nick stood right by it and he says, I see why. He said, from where your angle, there's a little bush right here. He was behind it, and he couldn't see it. So if you go over there, you'll think he got away. He got up. I tell people, if you can't, don't have a friend with you, you need to have somebody go with you because you're going to kill more deer if you have help. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I always say do not take your eyes off a coos, a coos buck you want to kill. We've well, talked about it on the podcast before. When you find a buck you want to kill, you cannot take your eyes off it. You told the story about your son taking his eyes out of the glass and, you know, you had to chew his butt. We've all had to do that. And that's one thing about hunting with guys that, that you can rely on. If I find a coos deer buck and I'm hunting or that we're guiding and I bring Dar over and I say, see that buck and put his, you know, put his binos and say, buy the trees, like, yeah, I got him. I know that I can spend all day doing whatever I need to do to get over there, either myself in position or to get the hunter in position. And I know that Dar is not going to take his eye off that buck for any reason. It doesn't matter if he has to go to the bathroom. 
I mean, you got to be serious. Like, do not take your eyes off a buck you want to kill. And if you do that, your your chances of success, I mean, it it goes way up if you if you do not take your eye off a buck. Well, we're on the same page because that's that's what I teach constantly, and 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 that's the big mule deer, and that's the big coos deer, and that's how we're killing them is is. We're just waiting them out until they get up, and then when they make a chant move there, then a lot of times when they get up, it, it may take 30, 40 minutes for the hunter to see it because they're behind a tree and the deer are just moving it slow, and I, and then all of a sudden you, the guy will say, I got him, and then it, then the rodeo's on, and then you got a chance. But, uh, Jay, I have bought more deer second-guessing myself being stupid. Yep. Without yeah. help, and I and that's why I quit it. Well, and it only takes doing it a couple times to realize that coos deer, over over any animal, in my opinion, coos deer, once they bed down, they're very difficult to see. And a lot of times, if 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 you're like, okay, he's bedded down, let's go make our move. Yes, a lot of times they're going to be bedded in the exact same spot. But you talk about changing your angle your whole perspective changes and that same little bush that you're like, yeah, he's right under that bush. You, you drop down an elevation or get across or get a different angle. That bush looks different. Um, I would give the, I would give the advice to the hunters out there that if you are hunting by yourself and you don't have a hunting partner or anybody hunting with you and you glass up a big giant buck is I would fight the urge to get over there quickly, what I would do is watch that buck and watch him bed down. And then, obviously, let's say it's mid-morning, you watch that buck get bed down. I'm going to actually stay there, and I'm going to probably glass, continuing to watch him bedded for probably at least another 30 minutes. And watch and watch and watch, try and see other bucks. And then if you have to, before you leave, Try and take a picture from your angle that you're at on your phone. You know, we all carry these smartphones now where you can take photos. Try and digiscope the hillside and then try and make note of exact landmarks where that buck is. You know, big boulder fields, you know, ocotillos, uh, you know, agave plants, yuccas, you know, a, a, a yucca that's pointing at a 45 and it happens to point right at the buck. And, and take and even make notes if you have to on your notes on your iPhone of exactly where that buck is. So when you do make your move, when you get down to your new position, you can go, okay, where's the leaning yucca? Where's, okay, he should be right here. And then hopefully you can go, okay, I've got his antler tips. It looks different from here, but I see the buck. Um, and then the flip side of that is if you get in the new sh shooting position and you don't see that buck, I wouldn't move anymore. I would be in your position, no, have your rifle ready, and spend until dark knowing that that buck is probably exactly right where you left him. If not, he's maybe moved five or ten yards and rebedded. But don't get impatient. Stay on that exact spot until it gets pitch black dark. And then when you go to leave, you don't leave with a light. You, you know, you pretend like that buck, you know, maybe you didn't see him that afternoon, but the likelihood is he's right there. That's, that's great advice. Uh, I would have never used a telephone, 
But that's actually great advice because a lot of people don't have help, and so that way they would have a great, great chance to see what they're looking at over there because, and you know this because it's the same thing. It's the agave this way. It's a mesquite that way. And when you get a different angle, it all looks different, even to people yeah. like us that don't, we're living. Yeah. But that's where, like, a photo on your phone can help because you can, you can get down to your new angle and you can be like, well, dang, I don't see that angled agave, but I do see the big two rocks and I see the big dead uh, oak tree that's got broken yep. limbs. It's got to be, and you can put the pieces of the puzzle together. Next question comes from Dan L. Doran, 33. It says, late archery OTC. Uh, which unit do you choose and what date if you only have three or four days to hunt? Well, let me tackle the three or four days to hunt. Um, you, you have to look in the Arizona Game of Fish regs. I don't have them in front of me. Uh, a, a lot of these units are open in December. As, uh, it's usually like around the 12th or the 15th of December and run to the end of the month. Uh, and then there's all, most all units are open the month of January. I will say that because you got to watch. There are some units in December that don't allow archery hunting, so it's not every unit is December and January. Some units are just January. Uh, I want to say like unit 22 for a couple years did not allow December archery, and then it bounced back, and now they do. Uh, and and um, I want to say 23 did the same thing. They kind of bounce back and forth where they don't allow it in December, but then they're open in January. Um, when you're talking about the best dates, if you're just talking about December OTC, if it's, if it's my choice for, for archery uh, in December, I'm going to go as late in December, so I'd have to pick the last three or four days of December, go as late as you possibly can, but even better than that is I would focus on January over December any day of the week. I would focus on, you know, sometime around that 10th, you know, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th of January in southern Arizona all the way to the, you know, to the end of January. But any time past the 10th of January is typically, um, you know, really good rutting activity. Um, Dwayne, what's your thoughts? Well, you, everything you said is I second it. That's, we bring all of our hunters in and hunt the last five days on the late hunt. And then any, from January on, the hunt gets better every day. I tell, I tell people when I'm guiding them on that, every day this hunt's going to get better in January. There's going to be new does coming heat. More bucks are going to come out of the woodwork. So the whole month of January is, is unbelievable with the bow. Next question comes from N period uh, craftsman LLC on Instagram. It says, stay more mobile in the January rut or find high glassing point and move very little. Um, Dwayne, I'll let you answer that one. Well, that's, that's kind of a catch 22. Uh, and, and, and I'll tell you why I'm saying that because I think you have to find the bucks before you get mobile, before you, you stay uh, uh, docile. So I'm very mobile until I find the caliber of buck we want to go, and then we put the brakes on, and then we hunt him. So that, that's how we're doing it. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly in that you're bouncing from knob to knob and you're bouncing from high point to high point, you know, just hammering the glass, just pounding, pounding, pounding until you find a buck and then you almost, you know, quote, unquote, circle the wagons and you're like, okay, let's watch this buck for a little bit. Let's see what he's doing. What, you know, what kind of pattern can we establish? And, you know, if you have time on those January, you know, obviously he's talking about January if you have time on those January archery hunts to find a big buck, I would encourage you, like, maybe don't rush down there and try and put a stock on them immediately. And, you know, I may be completely wrong, but here's my train of thought. Like, find the buck, watch the buck, try and determine, like, is the buck on the move? Is the buck searching for does? Or is he kind of locked in with some does? And, you know, does he seem to be in a place where he's comfortable and does he seem like he's running and he's chasing those does? Now, one would argue that, hey, if you don't go down there and stalk that buck, he may move on and go chase other does. I would argue back that, okay, but I want to see if this buck, like, what's he doing? Does he seem fairly docile? Does he seem like he's locked in with these does and that, you know, he's going to chase them around for a while? Um, you know, are there other bucks in the area? What kind of competition does he have? Um, and I feel like if you could watch him for a day or two, or at least for a couple hours, and try and figure out the situation, where are the other deer? Oh, there's a doe bedage. I just watched her bed down there. I can't come in and stalk there. I mean, a lot of it is figure out your game plan before you just go charging off the mountain stalking a deer. Now, with a rifle, it's a little different story. I mean, you can get a little more aggressive because, you know, you get 300 yards, you, you, you can slam them. Well, with a bow, you got to get, you know, 30, 40, 50 yards from that thing. A lot, a lot of deer that we, we hunt with a bow, we can't stalk them. It, it, it is exactly what you're saying. And if we do, we're going to blow them out of there. So a lot of the deer that, that we're seeing that, if they're in horrible stalking areas, we just let them go until the next day or so until they'll move to chase other deer and they give us a great chance to chase them then. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, next question from 1911 Map on Instagram. What is the lowest elevation you'll find coos deer? I would say that you could probably find some deer even below 2,000 feet. I mean, I think you could find them 1,500, 1,600 feet. I want to say I, I've seen some out in the desert flats. I don't know that I could say that I definitely looked at the elevation, but I, I, I seem to remember finding some deer around 2,000 feet or maybe just a little bit below that, Dwayne. Well, the San Pedro is about 2,000 feet below me. Okay. So, and so that, that's, that's as low as I've ever seen them is down the San Pedro River all the way to Hayden, to back all the way to Sierra Vista. So uh, all through Benson, all along the, the San Pedro, there's coos deer all, all there. I know that elevation changes as the river's coming down, but it's, it gets lower as it goes to Hayden, and there's deer there. So, Next question is what to look for on Google Earth to know the deer have good feed. That comes from LT Hunts. AZ. I do a lot of Google Earth work. Um, I love Google Earth. 
I'm going to tell you that I don't know that you can exactly look at Google Earth and, and determine feed conditions. Obviously, the photos on Google Earth come at different times. Um, I think you almost have to you know, do your work on Google Earth and then go out there and look and see you know, how are the conditions at that time. Uh, you know, unless the photo was just taken, you know, it's it's pretty hard to use Google Earth, in my opinion, to establish if there's good feed or not. Well, I I don't think you can, and I'm like you. I use it a lot, mostly to see where knobs I can get off the glass from, and what roads are the closest enough to get there. And then after that, I go glass and do and do what we're doing. But I I don't think I've ever looked at it to see what kind of feed if it's going to be. Uh, any kind yeah. of feed. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not sharp enough to figure that out. I, I just just want to yeah, where the roads think, go, where the knobs are. Yeah, yeah, where the knobs are, and where the ca which way the canyons run, and find your glassing points off Google Earth for sure. Um, yes. This comes from Alexander. Period. V I A U. He says, "What is the best week in January for a OTC?" Archery coos hunt. We talked about this a little bit. Um, in my opinion, the best time is any time in January. But if I had to get specific, I think any time from like the 10th of January till the end of the month, I think you'll probably see widespread in most units in southern Arizona. Well, actually, most units. Obviously, the more southern you get, probably the later. But, you know, that. 15th to the 25th of January, you're going to see, if you're in the coos habitat, you're going to see, you know, the white, the white flags, the does running, you're going to, you're going to hear them snorting, you're going to see chasing. So best week, um, I know my answer in Mexico is typically like the 18th through the 25th, and I'd probably stick in Arizona and say probably that 18th to the 25th for most actual like chasing activity. Now they're sometimes very very hard to kill with a bow. Obviously, when they're running around like like wild men, Dwayne, best week for OTC hunts. Well, you just hit it on the head. I, we the best is between the 10th and the end is what I would say. Okay. Uh. Here's someone saying they have an elk tag in September. It's going to cut down on their time uh, to hunt in January. What will the coos activity be like in, in, in January? We just covered that uh, the 10th through the 20th, uh, or excuse me, the 10th through the end of the month is, is historically just money. And then uh, let's see. There's a question from CPEC1010. Uh, when does the coos deer rut start? I'll let you get that one, Dwayne. Well, we, you already went, you went through that. Actually, it starts earlier in the northern zones, and then it, it just gets less all the way down. I mean, it gets more going as it gets. But consistently, the first week of January is when you can just about see rutting activity anywhere you want to go, and, and that's... And, and that's I would bet on that more than anything. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Let's take a uh, quick break here.
Okay, Dwayne, that kind of wraps up the, the questions that I have from the listeners and the uh, Instagram followers. Uh, I do want to wrap up talking a little bit about uh, your upcoming fall um, and ask you the question, do you have any openings uh, for any of your guided hunts, whether it be elk, coos deer, mule deer on the Kayabab? Um, are there any slots that people can still call you? Are you pretty much booked for this season? Where, you know, where, where are you at? I'm booked up for all for the elk hunts, at, uh, Jay, but I am open for some coos deer hunts, and I, I've got a couple openings for the uh, kaibab hunts. Actually, early, I've got a couple openings, but thank God I'm pretty well booked up. But if anybody's interested on that early kaibab, we'd love to have them, and if they need a, a coos deer guide, we'd love to have, have them on that hunt as well, any of those, those units. You know, we've talked, I've had you on the podcast, and we've talked about the Kayabab. Um, with, with things being drier than normal and such, what is your outlook? You know, obviously you probably haven't been up there much, but just in general, you've done it so many years up there. Like, what are you, what are you thinking, how you think this season's going to be up on the Kayabab? Well, it's interesting. You've probably watched the news that Kanab almost got washed away and all of those zones up there. And I talked to Ryan Hatch with Liz in Kanab, and he said they've been getting pounded. It's just unbelievable rain on the Kaibab. And so one of my friends drew a tag uh, for the Buffalo, and and this guy's a killer, and he hired a guide, and they didn't see a Buffalo. And the guide told him that if it starts raining – the buffalo will stay in the park, and that's exactly what happened on a seven-day hunt. It rained every day. So I I think we're looking for a great year up there, to be very honest with you, because all those deer migrate up on top, and and that's where all the rain and the moisture is. So I, it, 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 those, those gentlemen I talked to said there was just mud puddles for 50 yards everywhere you went of water. So thank God. And... What do you feel like on the Kayabab? I mean, you've had some unbelievable success up there. Um, as far as holdover bucks, I mean, do you think the bucks got hammered pretty good last season, or do you think it's actually there's there's some bucks that, that made it through and there should be some good holdover? Oh, I think there's a lot of bucks that made it through. We, you know, we've probably seen seven or eight bucks over 200 inches that we couldn't kill uh, for one reason or another. So... No, I think I think there's some tremendous deer. And Ryan said he found his brother found a set of sheds that are 39 inches. So, wow. do you do I mean, you feel like the no... Kaibab has bounced back? I mean, yeah, you know, I do. Would Dan. you agree I, that there was a period where the Kaibab was down, and it seems like it's just getting better and better every year? You're seeing, uh, you know, we're kind of getting back to where you're starting to see some darn good bucks come off the Kaibab. Not only did it go down, it went down horribly. And, and I, I, I hate to, to tell you my theory on that, but I think when the fire came and burned, they've had three major fires up there in the last 15 years, and they burned all that horrible underbrush and all that garbage out of there and opened up those cedar flats and, and, and stuff there on the east and the west side, and it, it, the food started coming back, you know. And when the food started coming back, the deer started doing a lot better. And Todd Buck has done a great job up there as a game warden. 
uh, he he his lowered the tax from two seventy five to one seventy five to one thirty five down to one hundred on the late hunt and. Uh, to me, it's, it's just an unbelievable hunt. I mean, we're we're seeing gigantic deer every day, and thank God. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, Dwayne, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. It always is. The listeners get uh, so much out, value out of listening to you. Um, give you a chance here if you have any final concluding thoughts or um, anything that you want to bring to the listeners or my attention uh, or, you know, anything, anything off the top of your head that you, that you want to say or anything you feel like, you know, we missed or, or what have you. Um, and then also let the listeners know, which I'll also link up in the show notes, how they can um, get a hold of you and find out more about you. Well, I, I do want to say one thing. I, I've, I've probably gave more glassing lessons in the last two years, because of you, uh, they people have <laughs> listened to your podcast and they, and and they said uh, uh, you said you give glass lessons. I listened to it and I was. He said, said I'm a real follower of Jay Scott. He has a lot of great information on there with quality guides and, and hunters. And and uh, the glass and lessons, Jay, I think they're gold. Uh, uh, Jay, I charge three hundred dollars for a person. And if it's a father and son, I, I, I throw the, the son in free. And, and, but more than anything else, I try to tell them that what it does is it stops all the nonsense. I'm going to show you where to look and why to look there and how to get the angle of the dangle, how to, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I said, if you do what I'm doing on public land and are successful, you, you can do this anywhere. And so I tell yeah. them that they'll learn – and in one morning with me, they'll be a hundred percent better than when they got there. So the glassing lessons have been been very helpful. And I've met some wonderful people that are listening to your podcast. Well, I appreciate that. Um, a couple quick follow up questions to that would be: in your opinion, you know, well, in my opinion, let's say. I always say that you could drop a coos deer hunter, someone that is very efficient at glassing and being able to find coos deer on a consistent basis. In my opinion, you could put them anywhere in the world, and those guys can find animals. If you learn to glass, and in my opinion, if you especially learn to glass coos deer, you can literally up your hunting game, your finding game, in all the other animals that you hunt. Um, and I'm sure you agree with that. My my question would be, in your opinion, what are what are some of the biggest mistakes people make when they come and you give them a glassing lesson? Like, do you let them kind of do it how they do it? And you look and you're like, what are you doing? I mean, are there certain things or do you start out with your system right away? And, you know, what mistakes are people making, in your opinion, when glassing? Well, in the younger days, uh, I used to let them glass for five or fifteen minutes, and I get started. But I stopped that because I realized right away if they were looking through the big ends, I knew right away that wasn't going to work. <laughs> I'd say, "Wow, no wonder you're not finding any deer." But so there's there's two big mistakes, and the biggest mistake that they they make is they don't have the right tripod to fit their body. And what I mean by that is you can have a six foot one guy, he's got a four-foot tripod. 
And right. if you don't have a tripod that you can stand up with in glass, and, and I don't stand up all the time, but sometimes you have to. And so, and if you don't have high-quality binoculars, those two things, you have big strikes against you, and you, you, you're automatically not going to find them. So when I give glassing lessons, I, I tell them that. And I send them to, to somebody to buy, get going and see if you can stand up with a tripod and then get a high-quality binocular and then come to me. And I said, because you're, you're not going to understand what I'm doing and, and why I'm doing it unless you have the same equipment. And that's really what I do. And then I teach them to start and graft the heel, quit shotgun glassing. And then, and then move, and move fast, and move, and keep moving. As a deer is moving in the morning, you move fast too. And then as the morning progresses to later, and they get the deer get on the northwest side, stop, slow down, and start glassing those, what I call the angle of the dangle. Get, walk out on a ridge, and I walk everybody out in the same place. I say, we walk out there, and they'll say, why? I said, you're going to see why. Now we have the angle of deer right there. But I said, we parked the truck there. You can't see this. And they said, man. I said, that's what I call angle of the dangle. You've got to have this. And this was all over southern Arizona. So, and I try to teach them that. And it's easier for me to teach them than to explain it to them. They don't get it. It's, even in my, my Coos Deer book, I try to talk about that in there. But people don't get it, Jay, until they see how I do it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those things hands-on that if you can take someone out and show them, I mean, I'm, I'm betting in one day you can take someone that virtually has maybe do it, been doing it wrong for many years or maybe that's a brand-new beginner and up their learning curve, you know, it, it's incredible probably how much you can teach them in one day where you spend time with them, you know, you know showing them how to, how to sit, showing them how to, you know, have proper, you know, neck angle and how to, you know, not hunch over and how you can sit there for hours and hours and showing people angles on the hill and getting that, you know, that right drop off where you can, you know, ha have a big field of view. And um, that's awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad you're still doing those glassing lessons. I encourage the listeners, if you uh, want to get a glassing lesson, give Dwayne a call. Um, Dwayne, how can people uh, find you? My phone number is 520-385-4995, Dwayne Adams. And, and if you'd like to look at my webpage, it's uh, Dwayne Adams Hunting, and you, you can see that, and I'd be glad to take you. I'll, I'll end it with one thing. Uh, a gentleman last year came, his name was Shane DuPont. He listened to your uh, podcast, and he lives in Texas. And I want to think he lives in uh uh, somewhere around Houston. But anyway, he listened, He hired me the week before the hunt. I took him out, and what a nice man. And, and, I, and he had the equipment, and in less than 30 minutes, he was finding deer. He said, I got one, Mr. Adams. I said, do you? I said, where? And I said, all right, Shane, you got it. Well, he had a 36B tag. He had the tag. And I told him, he said, I don't, I don't have a clue. I said, well, I do, and I'm going to tell you where to go. So I set him up told him where to go down there, and he went down there, and he shot at a buck and missed it. And, he, and I, I, I talked to him back and forth two or three times. And long story short, he shot at several bucks and didn't kill one, but he found some bucks, and he's, he's coming back to do it again. And, and, and with the glass lessons, he was finding deer like clockwork. Good. That's awesome. 
That's great. You bet. That's great. Well, Dwayne, Dwayne it's always um, great having you on. Uh, appreciate uh, appreciate everything that you do. I uh, love your book and um, uh, just love the ambassador that you are for, for Arizona hunting and, and uh, appreciate everything. So uh, encourage the listeners to get a hold of Dwayne, and uh, I'll be talking to you probably uh, after elk season. We'll be getting a recap of a couple big giant bulls. Hopefully you get your clients on this year. Well, I know you're a lot better elk hunter than I am. I, I know that for a fact. You're an ungodly caller. About that. God bless you, and and you've always been a good man and a great, great ambassador for what we're doing. God bless you, buddy. All right, buddy. Take care. All right, take care. Bye-bye.